Gifts that keep on giving is about spiritual gifts. Each one of us has been given different abilities, both natural type abilities. Of course, we're created by God, so those natural abilities are given to us by God. And then some sort of supernatural abilities as well that sometimes may function for a a period of time or maybe over a long period of time. And that's what we're looking at is these spiritual gifts, these things we have from God. So we all have spiritual gifts And we can grow in spiritual gifts. We can eagerly desire and try to attain more spiritual gifts. Uh, We'll talk about that in a little bit. But these spiritual gifts are part of what show us our role in the body of Christ. You know, there's one body with many parts. There's the body of Christ. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. And our abilities and our, our giftings, our strengths are given to us by God and they show us our role in the body of Christ. So here's the good news. God expects us, His plan is for us to play to our strengths. He gives us certain abilities and that shows what we're supposed to do. It isn't that I'm really good at this, but God wants me to do this thing that I'm really, really bad at. We are gifted and empowered in certain ways, and those are the things that God has called us to do. Now again, those things can change. I told the story of learning how to play the guitar. Uh, In a high school, I tried to learn to play the guitar. didn't work. Then when I was 30 years old, I, I just felt like in prayer, God was telling me, learn how to play the guitar. So I learned how to play the guitar, and in about four months, I'm leading worship by myself in church with the guitar. And it worked, you know, it wasn't real great, but it worked, you know, it was sufficient. So there are these things, you know, I've heard different phrases like God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called and things like that. And there's truth in that. But the reality is God then equips the called. He gives you that capacity so then you can play to your strengths. I'm going to read a quote from Albert Einstein. I don't think I've ever quoted Albert Einstein in church before, but I'm going to quote Albert Einstein today because it ties into this idea. Let me make one more point before I read what Albert had to say, but here's the thing. We get so busy trying to put down our sinful nature and get rid of the ungodly stuff in ourselves that we forget to notice that there is a God thing in us too. That we have been created in the image of God, that the first thing that in the creation that God said was very good was humanity, that there is a good thing in us too, that we're born again and there's this God thing in here, and so we need to see that too. It's not just about getting rid of everything, get rid of the sinful nature, get rid of the old man, hallelujah, but there's there's that part in us that is the godly part, and we want that to grow and build up. So that's the thing that I'm talking about today. Don't get those two things confused. You know, we want to put down the old. We want to pick up the new, but we want to rejoice in the new and we want to grab hold of it. And sometimes that can be challenging, especially if we're a little bit different than everybody else. So here's our quotation from Albert Einstein. He said, everybody is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. One more time. 
Everybody is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. Is it fair to judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree? No. Is it fair for you to judge yourself based on other people's giftings instead of your own? No. So don't look at yourself in the light of what other people are gifted to do. Look at yourself in the light of what God has gifted you to do and what God has called you to do. And this can be a bit of a process. And it can be difficult to grab hold of because I feel like we don't see all the options that are available. You know, when I first became a Christian, I really thought there were two options in serving God. There was be a pastor or be a missionary. Those are the two options. There's, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of options. There are all these different ways to serve God. The body of Christ is just amazingly diverse. And if we only see a few different options, then that's going to give us some trouble because maybe very likely we're not gifted in those areas. And so we, we feel like we're not quite connecting and it isn't quite working. And so we need to be true to who God created us to be. So we're going to read a little bit of the story of David and Goliath. I like the story of David and Goliath, and we're going to look at a little subsection of it. And there's something very important in this section of Scripture about how to see yourself and understand how you fit into the kingdom of God and how you as an individual need to serve God. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 21. This gives the backstory of what was going on, and then we get into the situation with David. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. So this is a time of war. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. So David was in the field with the sheep. He comes to the battle lines. He's the youngest one, and his brothers are there in the army. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. So Goliath was very scary. He was apparently about nine feet tall, and he was a fighting man. He had a huge sword, big scary guy. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. So there was an incentive program to take out Goliath. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now he had heard, but he wanted to hear it again. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David is thinking, there's a huge reward for taking out this Goliath, and God wants him taken out. So he'll probably use whoever has the courage to do it. So he's putting two and two together. Who is this Philistine? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother... So remember, David comes from the field. He's keeping the sheep. And the older brothers are all there in the army. You know, they're the adults who are fighting the wars. And David, now he wouldn't have been like nine years old. He would have been maybe 17, 18. You know, I mean, he would have been 
a strong, strapping young man. He wasn't a little kid, but he was still young. So when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. He's like, you little punk. Oh, you're just here to gawk. Go home. How would that make you feel? You've got this beautiful God dream in your heart about this amazing thing that needs to happen. And someone in your own family just sarcastically cuts you down. How would you feel? How did David feel? 29. Now, what have I done? Said David. Can't I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else. This is a beautiful moment. He's just kind of like, Pah. and then he goes over here. So what, what happens? <laughs> are, you, are you telling me that God wants to take out this giant and that whoever takes him out gets the king's daughter and no more taxes and all? Like what? And he, he's not daunted by the cutting criticism. And he just keeps going. He turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. This is Saul the king, King Saul, king of Israel, sends for David. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So the shepherd boy says to the king of Israel, look, man, you got no more problems because I am here. (laughs) It's taken care of. Not an issue. Next verse, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He's been a fighting man from his youth. So the king is saying, dude, I appreciate the enthusiasm, but come on, let's get real here. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. (laughs) Again, maybe not the best way to start. I've been keeping sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock... I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. He's like, I've been faithful in the little things, and I didn't run from danger then. When a bear took a sheep, I grabbed the bear, rescued the sheep, and killed the bear. Who is this great fighting man? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So David wasn't saying, I'm so awesome. He's saying, I have confidence that God will deliver me in this situation. God will take care of me in this. God has a plan and I have the courage to walk into God's plan. So I'm going to go. Now, next verse. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. So that's like a a shirt or a jacket. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. So this was the normal way that you go to war. In fact, it was the way to go to war. You don't go to war if you don't have a helmet. You don't go to war if you don't have a sword. You don't go to war without armor because that's just a really, really bad idea. The other people have helmets and swords and armor. And so if you're just going to go out there and the other people have all this equipment, you're going to be in very grave danger. And so the normal convention was helmet, armor, and sword. And so they take David, helmet, armor, and sword. But that just wasn't who he was. 
Next verse. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. This to me is perhaps the most courageous moment in this whole story because everyone is expecting David to go to war in the conventional way with a helmet and the armor and a sword. Everyone's expecting that. The king has already given him permission. He's got the best stuff. He's got access to the highest quality, uh, you know, helmets and swords and all that stuff. He's going to go fight Goliath. This is the way it's supposed to work. And he just takes the stuff off and says, I can't do it this way. Next verse. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So instead of walking into battle against a nine-foot-tall giant wearing armor and having a huge, like, 80-pound sword, he doesn't even have a helmet. He doesn't have armor he, he doesn't have a sword. He's got a stick and five smooth stones and a sling. Very unconventional. But it was who David was. It was who God made David to be. And so David played to his strengths. He didn't stay stuck and conform to the expectations of everyone else. And then you may have heard the rest of the story. David goes out and he chucks a stone, and it catches Goliath right in the forehead, and that's the end of the battle. Somebody asked one time, how come five stones? And I heard someone say, well, Goliath had four brothers. Anyway, after David defeated Goliath, then the route was on, and it all went crazy, and the, the Philistine army was routed. What would have happened if David had gone out with a helmet and armor and a sword. He would have been no match for Goliath. But instead, he stayed true to who God created him to be. And that can be a huge challenge, especially when you're trying to figure out who you are. Because you'll make, you'll make mistakes. You know? You'll misjudge some things and you'll try some stuff and it may not work. But the reality is, is that I believe that God has created each one of us in a specific way for specific purposes with specific abilities. And we need to not let other people's expectations and convention get in the way of us really grabbing hold of the fullness of God's plan. Because as we read about spiritual gifts and the body of Christ, we notice that it is a whole bunch of different types of people with different abilities coming together to fill different roles in an incredibly diverse body of Christ. So don't think we all need to be the same. It's easier to get along when we're all the same. But it's not the scriptural plan. Now, some things we need to be the same in. Devotion to God needs to be the same. Love of Christ needs to be the same. But who we are, our specific roles and our abilities, those things are different. When I first became a Christian, I did not fit in. You know, I mean, not even close. Now I fit in way better. But I've sort of had to make my way. In the old days, you know why you became a church planter? Because no one would hire you. If people weren't sure that you could make it, they'd say, well, why don't you plant your own church? You know, then you're not going to ruin anybody else's thing. So that's why I became a church planter, because I didn't fit in. I didn't have a role. I was from the outside, 
And, you know, I get degrees in philosophy. You know, I'm just some weird guy. Who knows what that dude's going to say? So, like, go do your own thing. So that's what I did. And hallelujah, that was God's plan. And I got to be part of all these beautiful things and be true to who I was. I didn't have to change and, like, you know, fit into the mold. Now, again, there's some tension there because, yes, there are things we need that's our own pride, that's our own goofiness, and we've got to get rid of that stuff. But there's the God thing of who you are, which is unique and different, and you need to keep that. So let's look at lists of gifts of the Spirit. And I want you to think, who am I and how do I fit into this? Because again, there's this huge array of different things. Some people, they fit into the organized church system very well. Other people, they're kind of behind the lines. It's just a completely different thing. And so let's look at some of these lists and see if we can get a feel. But these lists, again, are not exhaustive. They aren't all of the spiritual gifts. And in fact, there's new ones now. Like, for example, the ability to run technology. Stuff's not in the Bible. Some people just, they've got a gift for that. People were gifted to create it. And now people are gifted to be able to do it. So those are new ones. They weren't around 2,000 years ago. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. So this is the renewing of the mind. And then this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This is something we'll see in all the lists that we read, is that there is one great plan of God, the body of Christ, all the people coming together, and each one of us is part of that, and we're interdependent. So this is the plan. It isn't me and my personal relationship with Jesus and that's it. It's us as this body coming together to serve God together, each in our role, each one belonging to the others. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. So prophesying is speaking the words of God. Oftentimes it can have predictive capacity. That's what people sort of think of when they think of prophecy, especially biblical prophecy. Oh, this is going to happen in the future, that sort of thing. And of course, there's many, many prophecies in the scripture, things that are going to happen in the future. There are prophecies that have been fulfilled already, ones that have yet to be fulfilled in the scriptures. And prophecy, a person having a spiritual gift of prophecy can just speak words of God and they sometimes have predictive capacity like that. But it's a, it's a divine utterance, a prophetic word. So use it in accordance with your faith. Verse seven, if it is serving, let him serve. So we start with prophecy. The next one is serving. One has a very supernatural feel to it. The other one, serving. Are all Christians supposed to serve? Yeah, for sure. Some have a special gift of serving though. Some are just, they enjoy it. They're good at it. They see all the little things that need to happen. You go visit them at their house and they've got all these little special things planned. They're just good at serving. Some people have a gift with that. If it is teaching, let him teach. Some people are good at explaining the scriptures or explaining things to people. They're good at teaching. 
Verse 8, if it is encouraging, let him encourage. Encouraging. Are we all supposed to encourage other people? Sure. Some people have a special gift with it. Where someone's down, someone is having a hard time, and they can speak words that free them from that and lift them up. Some people have that ability. And it's, it's an amazing thing. You don't sign up for the encouragement team. That's one of those things that's an intangible way of serving God. Just the moment happens and you're there and you're able to lift the other person up. And it can happen any day of the week at any time. And it's one of those great things from God. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. We're all supposed to give, but some people have this supernatural gift of giving. They're able to give more. Some people have been given the ability to start businesses and make incredible amounts of money with it being God's plan that they would underwrite various different ministries and have incredible significance in that way. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So we see quite a variety of different ways of serving God. Some people are good at being merciful. When someone confesses their sin to them, they don't immediately like, you did what? But instead they're like, wow. And they're able to be merciful in the midst of it and lead that person into forgiveness. Different people have different gifts. These are given to us by God and they show our role in the body of Christ. There's a hidden gift, I believe, in these verses. And you see the word let in there over and over again. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Let him govern diligently. Let him do it cheerfully. See the word let in there a lot. Who does the letting? I think I get to do a lot of that. I get to let people do things. You know, there has to be in a lot of these things, not all of them, There has to be a structure where people are allowed to do things. Like if somebody's gift is teaching, let them teach. There has to be a structure where people are given the opportunity to teach. Have you ever felt like you had something from God to do, but no one would give you the opportunity? That should be pretty much everybody. That's the church's job is to let, you know, to vet and to let. That's to create the environment where people can serve and allow them that opportunity. The letting. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have another list, starting in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the common good, again, this is for the group, for everybody. The spiritual gifts that we have are not for us. They're given to the body and then to the world. So we're not the ones that the gifts are for, but we're the carriers of the gift. So if your gift is teaching, that doesn't mean that you listen to a lot of teaching and that people teach you, it means that you bring teaching to other people. So it's like if the UPS guy in the morning gets his truck all full of packages and then just drives home and opens them all, uh, that's a problem because those aren't for him. He's to deliver those. And that's how spiritual gifts are. My spiritual gifts aren't for me. I'm to bring them to the group and deliver To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. So wisdom, insight, knowledge, truth. To another faith by the same Spirit. Are we all supposed to have wisdom, knowledge, and faith? Well, yeah. 
But sometimes there's a special measure of faith. You just know this is going to happen. Like David with Goliath, he's like, this is going to happen. He had a special measure of faith in the moment to just believe. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. How many people have been able to pray and see miraculous healing happen? It's neat to be able to pray and see people be healed. To another, miraculous powers to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits. So distinguishing between spirits, this is one we don't so much talk about in popular Western culture. It's where you can kind of see into the spirit world a little bit. You know, some people can see demonic impressions or they can just see things that other people don't see. We don't like to talk about it because they put you on medication. There's lots of people, you know, a certain percentage of people that have this capacity to distinguish the spirit realm in the midst of the natural realm. And they can see these things. A lot of times it's little kids that they can see into the spirit world a little bit. And that's what this is talking about. This isn't the gift of having a critical spirit. You know, distinguishing between spirits. Well, I can tell who I like and who I don't like. That's not what this is. This is being able to see into the spirit world and get a a little impression of that. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. So we have another list with some really interesting ones. You know, in 1 Corinthians, you see tongues and an interpretation of tongues. You didn't see that in the list of spiritual gifts given in the letter to the church in Rome, but you see that in the letter to the church in Corinth. So there's quite a variety of things from wisdom and knowledge to prophecy and speaking in tongues, like quite an incredible variety of things. There's a few other lists, some offices, Let's jump to Ephesians 4, verse 11. These are kind of like the leadership roles in the church, according to the Scriptures, the fivefold ministry from Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at this and then try to see what the reason for leaders in church is. So Ephesians 4, starting verse 11. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So God has chosen people to be in these five different roles. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And in our world, again, most people think you got two options. you got pastor and missionary. Those are your two options. Here it says, apostle, prophet, uh, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Some people have an evangelistic calling. Uh, I was listening to Daniel's sermon from last week. I'm thinking, this is an evangelist. This is someone who is calling people to God and who has a fervor for that. I have more of a teaching calling than an evangelistic calling. The pastor has more of a connecting personal calling. The apostle is is one who goes into new territory. So there's different roles in this leadership. But what is the purpose? Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ, again the whole group, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That we could come together, be mature, and grab hold of the full plan of God. 
You may see yourself in these lists, or you may not, because this is a very short list, and there's all kinds of different parts of the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you to not judge yourself by the expectation that you think other people would have on how you're to serve God. Like David, have the courage to walk out against Goliath with a a sling and a stone if that's who God has made you to be. Now learn the difference between pride and saying, well, I don't need to study, and the difference between pride and actually who God made you to be. Go ahead and learn that. But then don't be constrained by Saul's armor. Instead, walk in the trueness of who God made you to be. And then the next challenge is when we embrace our diversity to stand together in unity. Because again, it's easy to get along with people when you're the same. And it's challenging to get along with people when you're different. That's why we have so many different denominations. Because the hands and the feet didn't get along and the eyes and the ears didn't get along and so they all made their own churches. I want to read a prayer. A prayer of our Lord Jesus. A prayer where he's praying for us. From the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Here's what it says. My prayer is not for them alone. So he's been praying for his disciples. This is shortly before he's going to be arrested. So he's been praying for those who he's with. And he says... I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So the ones who will believe, that's us. Jesus, at that moment in history, is praying for us. Let's look at that prayer. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we stand in unity, it is a testimony to this world of the power and the presence of God. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays that his diverse people that all the different parts of the body would stand together under him for God's purposes to reach this world. Jesus prayed that we would be unified. Who answers that prayer? You know, usually we pray and we want God to answer our prayer. Here, Jesus prayed that we would be unified. And I tell you, you and I have a role, have a peace in answering the prayer of our Lord by rejecting offense by accepting differences, by walking in humility, and by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we do that, we have the precious opportunity to be part of answering our Lord's prayer.